Scripture reading this morning is from Ecclesiastes 2. Ecclesiastes is in the Old Testament. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Uh, there we go. Ecclesiastes 2. I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, It is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all those who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expanded, expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness, and yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, What happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For, the, for of the wise as of the fool there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten, how the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life. Because of what is done under the sun, it was grievous to me. For all is vanity and a striving after the wind. I hated all my toil, which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and use my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave up my heart to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. 
What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. All right. Thanks, Lloyd. Uh, you know, I remember when I was young, uh, there was a youth pastor at a church I was at, and he said something that kind of kind of stuck with me. Uh, it wasn't some kind of theological insight or anything really all that profound, but he spoke about something that consumed a lot of my, a lot of my thoughts at the time. He said that if, if he was our age again, he wouldn't worry about girls so much. He wouldn't worry about having a girlfriend or if girls liked them. And, and like most kids my age at the time, I pretty much always had a crush on, on somebody. And so that was always kind of there. And those crushes tended to hijack my brain. And as a youth pastor working with youth, he knew this was kind of a thing. And so this youth pastor, at this point in his life, he was married and, and he had kids and he'd kind of moved on from junior high. And so we had a different perspective about all this, right? And, and he knew those crushes that he had growing up, they came and they went. And he knew what seemed to be so important at one stage of life was comically insignificant at his stage of life. Or as the preacher of an Ecclesiastes might put it, it was vanity of vanities. And, and so it's like most of us adults look back in a similar way to this, to this youth pastor. I, I've never met somebody in their 40s who were talking about this junior high crush they hadn't gotten over. <laughs> they got over it quick, right? And so, so if, if I could go back and talk to 1990s Kevin Shoemaker, I would say, dude, don't worry about it move along. This one's not for you. <laughs> you. You'll be fine. But it's just not that easy when you're, when you're in the moment. And it's nothing new to say that our vision is more clear looking back than it usually is in the present. You know, they're all saying hindsight is twenty twenty. But But there is a, a type of wisdom that often only comes through experiencing the emptiness of a thing. The reason we can look back to when we were kids and having crushes and kind of laugh at it is because we've, we've been through it. But if you're kind of in the mix, you, you haven't gotten that wisdom yet because you kind of have to go through it in order to look back at it and laugh at it and see it as comically insignificant. And so what the preacher of Ecclesiastes has done for us, he's gone through a lot of things, right? This is so supposedly this is Solomon. He's lived through some things and he's gone through some things that he's had some success and some achievements that we'll never have. And he's able to look back on it and things that are usually deemed as very significant, things that we might daydream about. And he's able to say, it's really not 
what you think it is. And saying that over and over again, it's vanity of vanities. And in the, in the case of chapter 2, what we just read is kind of a long passage we read, but there's, there's three categories that he, that he really talked about mostly. Um, one, we see that he partied hard, right? He was going to test pleasure, and so he went after it pretty hard. And then he genuinely pursued wisdom. And what we know about Solomon, the, the preacher supposedly, he, he found it. I mean, he wrote the book of Proverbs. We, we read the, the, the poetry books of the Bible by Solomon's pen. And then he was outrageously successful. Whatever we daydream about in terms of success, he did that plus way more, arguably one of the most successful people of all time. And, and so, so he got to this place where we all daydream about getting. And when he got to the other side of it, he said, nah, it's not really that great. It's actually kind of meaningless. It didn't, it didn't quite scratch him where he was itching. And he still feels like he doesn't do it. And it feels empty or as he says, vanity, and if you were here last week, vanity, that word uh, hevel means vapor or like a mist. It's just like you can't quite grab a hold of it. Uh, at the Golden Globes, uh, Jim Carrey, one of my favorite comedians, uh, one year he was a presenter, and when he spoke, he int introduced himself this way. He said, hello, I am two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey. When I go to sleep at night, I'm not just a guy going to sleep. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey going to get some well-needed shut-eye. And when I dream, I don't just dream any old dream. No, sir. I dream of being three-time Golden Globe winner actor Jim Carrey. Because then I would be enough. It would finally be true. And I can stop this terrible search for what I know ultimately won't fulfill me. And so this is his little version of Ecclesiastes. And y'all, as I've been going through Ecclesiastes, as, I, as I've read the book, as I'm reading commentary, people are screaming Ecclesiastes everywhere. I'm going to mention something else later on. It is a theme that runs through life. And so, so the, the three areas that we're going to consider today in chapter 2, where, where the preacher went through these things, experienced these things, and he found them to be empty, like vapor, hevel, that word that we looked at, well, the, the three areas that he went through that we're going to consider are his partying or his pursuit of pleasure, and second, wisdom, and then third, work, or as he describes it, his toil. And so I want to spend some time on the emptiness and the vanity of those three areas. And then I want to consider, uh, I want to spend some time considering where we should expect to find happiness, because there's going to be this sense of hopelessness and despair that we're going to get as we go through Ecclesiastes, but there's these little hints along the way where that, that should kind of redirect our gaze towards where we think we should actually find happiness. So first, let's talk about the vanity of pleasure. In verse 1 through 11, we see the preacher is going to pursue pleasure. He's going to test it. He says, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. And he has an outline to test pleasure that I think is very common, probably particularly to young men. And I'm not saying it applies to all young men. It probably applied to me. But often in college, the plan can be to maximize good times. It's, it's a unique window to have a lot of fun. You aren't living with your parents, and you aren't married with kids. This is the window to party, as the preacher says, or to, quote, to cheer your body with wine. And after college, once that window closes, maybe you can tone it down a bit. 
And I'll be honest, if you want to test the party scene at any point in your life, college is the time to do it. Someone gets hammered at 20, it's no big deal. Having a good time. Somebody gets hammered at 30, that's weird. You get hammered at 40, an alcoholic, right? So if you want to get drunk and party, college is the time to do it. That's our next Instagram post. Now, obviously, I'm not promoting that. And some of you are thinking, like, he's going too far with Ecclesiastes. It's kind of true. Look, I'm, I'm not promoting that. Let me be as clear as I can be. I'm not promoting that. But the reason we can say it's kind of true is because just open your eyes. We live in Starkville. We live in a college town. It's no secret. And what I just said is, is true. You're, it's different when you're not living with your parents. It's going to be different. And when you're not married with kids, it's gonna, th- there's a window there. And that's why we see it the way we see it. And that's where Ecclesiastes is painfully honest to the point where it's like, hey, did you mean to say that? But as the preacher said, as he goes through this, he found that it did not deliver. And look, since I just came on strongly seeming to promote partying in college, let me do this as a side note. If you choose to to test pleasure while you're in college in this way, maybe it's some drunkenness and partying or sleeping around or whatever it might be, you should know that two things that probably get packaged with that because the way sin generally works like Adam and Eve in the garden something seems not like a a nice shiny object you go after it and you suffer consequences you don't realize two things if you decide to test your heart with with pleasure during this season of life two things I'd be willing to bet that you will experience that you would not want to trade this for but it'll be shame and regret shame and regret are more painful than whatever fun you might have as you test your heart with pleasure. And look, there's an old saying that sin takes you further than you want to go and keeps you longer than you want to stay. And so I'd imagine we have some college students here who, who sense what I just said out loud, maybe shouldn't have said out loud, that this is a window where I can kind of test my heart with pleasure. Well, well let me just say this. If, if you choose to do that, you wouldn't be the first, but you should know if you choose to do that, what happens is you begin to numb your heart towards God. And you do that a little bit, it gets a lot easier to do the next time. And then again, and then again. And what I'm telling you as someone who's been in uh, a college town for more than 20 years, I've seen that most don't return. Is that most will go to test their heart with some pleasure. And there's a numbing of the heart that they don't even realize is happening. They're just kind of having innocent fun. It's a window to, to kind of celebrate. And they often don't return. So just be concerned. It's not just that it's one night's a big deal. It's the numbing of your heart towards God, and it will take you further than you want to go and keep you you longer than you want to stay if you ever even return. So that side notes said, and and even as we're talking about alcohol a little bit, him kind of cheering his heart, his his body with wine, and this is a college town, and this is, you know, so for me with with alcohol, and in the South, like alcohol can be a, a real big issue, especially in the church, and that's kind of the thing you want to stay away from. Uh, and I kind of, there's kind of three phases of, of thinking through alcohol that I went through. The first phase was this. It's just bad. Just stay away from it. It's sin. And then the, the second phase was kind of came after I started to understand the gospel that we're saved by grace and not by works. And we're not saved because we don't drink. And so that means you can kind of do whatever because there's grace and the gospel's cool. <laughs> so there's that. It's kind of like I fell off the other side there. And then there's just the biblical view of it, which I think is pretty simple and straightforward. This is kind of a side note from Ecclesiastes, but just to kind of have, there's kind of this uh, legalistic 
phase where you, you don't drink because that's what makes you a Christian. And then there's this kind of uh, antinomian stage, which means like, because of grace, we can do anything. And so since Jesus died for our sins, it's not a big deal. If you get drunk or not, it doesn't make you a Christian, can't save you any more or less. And then the biblical view is, is pretty simple. First, drunkenness is out. Ephesians 5, 1 Peter 4, drunkenness is, is always going to be sin. Second, you got to be over 21. As long as you're in the United States or not in Europe or not in Louisiana in the 1990s, you got to be over 21. It's just a law. Romans 13, we're to submit to the governing authorities. So if anybody didn't quite have a category for alcohol, that's kind of the basic. Now, after that, there is some discernment issues that the, the scriptures do speak towards, but, but that's where it's black and white. Drunkenness is out. You need to be over 21 if you're in the United States at least. Now, back to Ecclesiastes. I feel like after making those probably stupid comments I made earlier, I feel like I got to kind of bring that back in. But back to the preacher. He wanted to test pleasure and he did it through alcohol and he found, he found it to not quite scratch him where he itched. It didn't deliver. And whenever we make pleasure our main priority, we end up doing things that, that, aren't, that aren't us. Even though we might be doing what we think we want to do, and it might be a good time, you can almost sense, and some of you are going to know what I'm talking about, you almost sense that you're faking it, right? Like, this isn't me. What am I doing? What am I trying to do here? And, and that's where we get that sense that whatever I'm seeing here, it feels like vapor. It feels not real, and it feels like a vanity of vanities, and you might even afterwards look back at, and, and some of us I'm sure can testify to this, you almost look back to that day or season of life and it almost feels like an out-of-body experience. Like, like what, was I, what was I trying to do there? Well, I think Ecclesi the, the preacher is saying you're trying to test your heart with pleasure. Everybody's trying to be happy. And, and, and you, you thought this route would maybe deliver. And if the good life, when you're young, is found in partying, it only kind of changes outfits maybe after college or after you graduate and have a job. And the good life, rather than partying, starts to look something like the acquisitions department, right? We want to have a higher income, to have nicer things, more up-to-date things, better vacations, stuff for our kids, uh, things that don't really seem evil, that seem just like, hey, just want to provide, want to have a, a good time. And we see the preacher did these kinds of things. He built houses, planted gardens, made parks, had tons of people working for him. And he had more money than he knew what to do with. But in the end, he said, it's, it's vanity. It's, it's empty. Now, now, most of us will never get to the point where we have more money than we know what to do with. I'm, I'm guessing none of us. I can't even imagine it, right? And so, but here's the thing is that while it can solve some problems, if we were to have more money than we, we knew what to do with, we would say it's really not that great. No matter how great we think it would be now, if we got there, we would think it's cool, but it's not that great. The preacher says this in uh, uh, Ecclesiastes 2, 10, 11. He says, And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was the reward for my toil. Then I considered that all my hands had done and the toll that I had expended in doing, and behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So all of us, whether we're in grade school, junior high, high school, college, or adults, we all think that happiness and fulfillment is something that we can, we can make happen. We can achieve it. 
And, and we usually have some type of path. Like some people might kind of have more of a good time where we're just going to party and it's all about that. Some people have a view of just like having to work hard. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to carve out a neat life for me and my family. But for those of us who have been able to find success and wealth and make a lot of these things happen, the reward for our work, as the preacher says here, it so often doesn't feel as good as they thought it would. And I'm going to quote Jim Carrey again. He said this, he said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can say it's not the answer. The big idea here is this. Even if you make pleasure and accomplishments your number one goal and you're successful in that, it will not come through for you. Whether you're chasing a life of partying or chasing a life of, of, of getting and doing cool stuff, it's like chasing the wind. You're never going to be to that spot where you think, I made it. This is enough. This is life is full and complete. You will never quite feel like you arrived. Now, moving on to my second point, let's talk about the vanity of wisdom. In verse 13, the preacher discovered that there is more gain in being wise than in being a fool. Okay, that makes sense, but he tested out both. Try being wise, I'll try being an idiot. He said, hey, it's better to be wise than be an idiot. Thanks, Solomon. But he was discouraged because of what he also saw. He saw that it ended the same for both the wise and the fool. The fool will die and be forgotten. And you know what happens to the wise person? They'll die and be forgotten. Now, here's a crazy story. In, in 2014, um, there was a running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers named LeGarrette Blunt. He's pretty good. Uh, and during one of the games, he became upset uh, over his lack of playing time. And he did something for, for what, you know, if you played sports and you've had some coaching, you hear all of it. So it's about the team. It's not about the individual. It's about the team. And you know what he did? He was upset about his playing time. And so before the game was over, he just left the field. He left the game. And so you know what the Sailors did the next, the next day? They have a pretty good front office. They cut him. You're, you're going to complain about your lack of playing time? That's not good. You're going to walk out on the team? You're cut. He was done. He was out. You know what happened to LeGarrette Blunt that week? He got picked up by the New England Patriots, who won the Super Bowl. He got a Super Bowl ring out of it. So are you serious? This guy does everything wrong. He, he is the poster child for a bad teammate. And, and there's a sense of satisfaction. Like, oh, you're going to walk out on the team? Boom, you're cut. But then the Patriots pick them. Another reason I hate the Patriots, right? The Patriots pick them up, and they win a Super Bowl. And so here's what's going on there that I think we need to catch. Have you ever noticed how things seem to go really well for not-so-great people? Kind of bad people, kind of jerks. And things seem to go really well for them. And have you ever noticed that it seems like a lot of really good people tend to struggle? Y'all, that is on repeat a hundred times a day. Something going, and that's in the Psalms. We see this all throughout the scriptures. These people are evil, and they seem to thrive. These people seem to love God and serve him, and they're just taking a beating. You will see that happen over and over and over. And you know what question you're going to ask? What's the point in trying to be good? Seems like it goes well for the bad guys. And they have more fun. They don't have as much restrictions. They aren't trying as hard. 
as me. And so he says, wisdom is vanity, it's vapor. Third, the vanity of work. The preacher addresses this in verses 18 to 23. The main idea here is what he sees is all he's worked for ultimately will go to somebody else. He's going to die and somebody else will have whatever he has. He can't keep what he's done. Whatever he gains in life is like kind of grabbing the air. It's vanity. It's chasing the wind. So for the preacher, he has accomplished so much in his life, but he knows it'll soon be gone. And then what will happen to all that he accumulated throughout the course of his life, which was a whole lot, other folks will get it. And who knows if they'll be wise with what they get or not. You know, facing imminent death changes the way you view career success. It was reported that Steve Jobs, towards the end, reportedly said something like this. He said, in other eyes, my life is the essence of success. But aside from work, I have little joy. And in the end, wealth is just a fact of life to which I am accustomed. Whatever Steve Jobs' wealth is like to him is whatever our financial situation is like to us. You're just accustomed to it. And at this moment, lying on the bed, sick and remembering all my life, I realize that all my recognition and wealth that I have is meaningless in the face of imminent death. Again, there's something that, 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 that clears our vision looking back than it does in the present. And so we all need to know that since we live in the present, where else can we live? We need to know that our vision is not as clear as it will be. Several years ago, when uh, the reason I moved to Starville was to lead a campus ministry. It was great. It was great. I loved it. We had hundreds of students involved, uh, lots of staff, um, and, and great things happened. And you could, you could probably say it was my life. It was, I, I lived for it. I loved it. It was so great. And that ministry is no longer at Mississippi State. And you know what effect that has had on the gospel? None. Didn't need me. Didn't need the ministry. It pleased the Lord to use me for a time, but there's a sense he could have used anybody or any ministry. And you know what a good word would have been for me at that time? When, when I was giving all I had to that ministry, you are totally replaceable. And not only that, this whole, this whole thing you're doing is replaceable. We can take the whole thing out and the gospel will move forward just fine. But you know why that might not have helped me? My motives weren't completely pure. Because it wasn't just about the kingdom. It was about my name and my chasing after the wind, trying to make a name for myself. And, and the same is true for Redeemer. I'm, I'm grateful that the Lord is using me now in this way, but it would be nothing at all for him to replace me. And for that matter, he doesn't even need Redeemer Church. There's other great churches in town. He can start another one. We are all replaceable. Doesn't mean we shouldn't take great joy that he chooses to use us in the way he is, but we are not that important. And one way to remove all joy from this great work that God has given me now is to turn for me, for me to turn this church into a way to validate Kevin Shoemaker. So what we're doing here is we're all working together to try to make me feel good about myself. And look, I'm, I'm picking on myself, but is the same true for you with your work? I mean, is it 100% pure motives, just trying to do a good job? Or is there a respect thing that's, that's playing in there? Are you trying to make a name for yourself? So, so all we do in our toll, our work, it's vanity. It's like 
chasing the wind. It, it is painfully temporary. We come and we go, we get replaced and forgotten. So, so to sum up these three categories, if we make it our goal to have a good time in life, to prioritize pleasure, we will end up let down. If we're trying to navigate our lives thoughtfully with wisdom, we will be let down. And if we think our work is what will make our lives significant, we will end up let down. So where should we expect to find happiness? Look at uh, chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. We read this. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toll. This also I saw and is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Now, I want to begin by saying uh, th there's a nuance here that I really hope to be able to capture. It actually brought me to tears twice this week on Wednesday and on Saturday as I was working over this. And I'll be honest, I'm not sure I, how, I'm not sure I know how to communicate it well. I pray the Holy Spirit, as we just read, would help you, help you to understand what I think I'm seeing is emerging from this text because it is so sweet. But, but here's the thing. As we read that, there's nothing better for a person who should eat, drink, and find enjoyment in his toll. It seems to be a contradiction, right? Because we just went through, like, those things, there's pleasure and work. Like, those things aren't very fulfilling, and this is in the category of a wisdom book. And so, and wisdom's not, it's kind of vanity too. And so it seems like he kind of contradicts himself. So, so what is the preacher saying here? Here's what he's saying. He's saying there's a type of enjoyment, a type of happiness that comes from the hand of God. That's different than achieving something. There's a type of enjoyment that is a gift that's given from the hand of God. We just spent some time covering the idea that happiness fulfillment is not found in pursuing pleasure, wisdom, or work. But now there is this significant shift. And the shift is that while we might not be able to achieve this, God does give it. We, we can't achieve this enjoyment by making it happen. God does give enjoyment. So enjoyment in this life is not something that we achieve or work for. It's a gift from God not a result of works. That might sound familiar to other verses. Listen to what the preacher says in Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 2. He says, There's a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor. Sign me up for that. I'm interested in all three. So that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them. So it's possible to have great success, to get everything you ever wanted, but have the enjoyment of that success escape you. And what we see in 2.24 is that God grants joy in super simple things like eating and drinking and working. So the principle that is emerging here in the text is that when we try to make enjoyment or happiness happen, it's going to be really frustrating it's going to feel like chasing the wind. But when we receive it by God's hand as a gift, it's, it's the simple things in life that we receive from God's hand. This enjoyment, it comes from God. We can't quite work to achieve it. For example, I actually don't have permission for this story, but it's not too bad. Uh, usually I tell the kids if I tell a story without their permission, I owe them five bucks. 
And this might cost me because it's everybody, but it's, it's safe. Um, so a few nights ago, I think it was a week or two. I don't know when it was. We're all sitting at the table. I did something silly, and everybody kind of laughed. But one of them was laughing in a way he couldn't bring himself back together. Little sigh. And he was dying laughing. And if you've ever been around someone who was laughing in a way they couldn't compose them, so they couldn't bring it back, they couldn't stop laughing, you know what you do. You laugh. It's just funny. And so here's what happened. It was a sweet time. And I would say that moment at the table was a gift of God. Me and Missy didn't get together and talk and be like, hey, so uh, let's do something funny tonight. Get everybody to laugh. It's not what happened. We were probably being jerks five minutes beforehand, you know. But in that moment, it was sweet. We all laughed really hard, harder than I've laughed in maybe a long time. Now, so that was a gift from the hand of God. <clears throat> now imagine this. Talk to Missy the next night. Hey, last night was sweet. Let's do it again. And so I do the same thing. It had, it had something to do with throwing a cup. There's, I'll spare you the details. So I throw the cup across the room again. Like It was a joke. I wasn't mad. So anyway, I throw the cup again, and everybody's like, that was weird. Why'd you do that again? I was like, well, we, we, we all laughed last night, so I was going to do it again, and we're going to get that thing going again. They're like, Dad, you're being weird. It's like, oh, come on, guys. I'm trying to be happy here. I feel like... Please, you know, so it's like, okay, okay. So I, it's like the, the throwing the cup thing's not working. We're going to do, uh, I'm going to get a joke book. So here's some good ones. So it's like, all right, all right, children gather around. Here's some of the latest jokes going around. Read those out. And it's kind of maybe a little giggle here or there, but it's like, ah, it's just not working. And so the, the picture there is this idea, I'm trying to drum up something that's actually a gift from God. You can't drum up the gift from God. And look, the whole point of the gospel, how the gospel works, I mean, how many times have you all heard me bang the podium? It is not by works. There's nothing we can do to earn salvation. There's not by works that we can boast. It's the gift of God. Do you all understand enjoyment is that way too? The, the gospel isn't just about our salvation, our souls. It touches everything. Even laughing at the table. Even, even having a good time with a friend. Ecclesiastes is teaching us that enjoyment of life is a gift of God. And if you try to make it happen yourself, you're going to be frustrated. But our God is kind, and he gives good gifts. And you know what it is? It's things like eating, drinking, and work. And, and I think in that, it's just talking about simple stuff. I don't think it's just eating, drinking, and working. That's it. I think it's mean just simple stuff. This is so silly. Uh, my, my dad passed away eight years ago. I had a great dad. Missed a lot about him. You know what I miss? We like watching football together. That's what we like doing. He did a lot of other great things. He was successful. He helped out in so many ways. But what I miss most, Sundays, watching the Saints. This is pre-Drew Brees Saints, right? We're losing a lot. We sit in the den. We watch the Saints lose. Missy and I, we're in a busy stage of life. We have more to do than we have time for. You know what's sweet? We'll take a walk together from time to time. 
Pretty simple. It's a gift of God. I enjoy that. I love my kids. I'd be willing to bet I love my kids more than any of you. Love your kids. I know it's not true. We all feel the same, but that's, you parents know. You love your kids. Your kids aren't going to get that till they have their own kids, but it's something, something special. You know what's true now that won't, always, that, that won't always be true? We wake up in the same house every day. I enjoy that. That's a gift of God. And so sometimes I dream, like I want to do something great. And if I, if I have a certain amount of money or if we can do this thing, man, that'll be great. What if the great thing's already there? Now I'm going to shift to a song by Macklemore. <laughs> Y'all probably know it's the good old days, right? He talks about riding in a 12-passenger van full of merch, dreaming about making it. But later on, he realizes that while they were dreaming of what could be, of making it big in music, they were in the midst of the good old days. And he has this line, he says, I wish someone would have told me. And you know what the preacher's telling us this morning? You're there. You're in the good old days. The enjoyment of life, it's a gift. And it doesn't come with these bells and whistles. It comes with these painfully simple things that if you'll get your head out of the clouds and quit daydreaming about what could be and what will validate you with pleasure or work or wisdom or you're going to try to navigate life perfectly, watch a football game. It's probably not for everybody. It's probably more my house. But, uh, but enjoy what God gives you. God's not so spiritual that, that he's over enjoying a good meal or a, a good drink with a friend. The preacher is telling us our God is kind and he gives enjoyment. So don't be so focused on finding happiness that you miss the happiness he keeps on giving you day in and day out. And so I'll end by just saying this. Quit trying so hard to be happy. It won't work. The harder you try to be happy, the more you're going to frustrate it. But be encouraged. Enjoyment comes from the hand of God. Even if you get what you daydream about, enjoyment might be withheld because it doesn't come from achievement. It comes from the hand of God. And we know from the gospel that our God is kind and gracious and he gives freely to his children. And it's right under our noses every day in a good meal, in a good drink with a friend, in a good day's work. So may God help us to quit chasing the wind and simply receive his gift of enjoyment in the simple things of life, which are actually better than anything we would think to chase or create on our own. May God help us. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, help us to see. Help us become free from the tyranny of what we daydream about, of what we think will make us happy. And help us to know that you've proven yourself in the gospel and sending your own son, that you take great pleasure in giving to your children. And so help us to see that happiness and enjoyment in life doesn't come from our level of ambition or achievement, 
but from a kind and gracious God. Help us to see it. In Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.